Hi, this is Monica Long of Ripple, the platform that builds breakthrough crypto solutions for a world without economic borders. I'm on the edge of NFT, the podcast bringing you all kinds of breakthroughs and innovations that make the world a cozier place to be. Keep listening. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out how Ripple continues to empower the masses to bank in a decentralized world and is set to roll out some dope new NFT tech. And what's the story behind today's guest SpaceX artwork on our wall? And how to get into the next wave of your new gaming obsession through MotoGP. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Monica Long, GM of Ripple, the leading enterprise blockchain and crypto solutions company. Monica leads the team providing infrastructure, tools, services, programs, and support for creation on the XRP ledger to enable the internet of value, as well as the RippleNet side of the business, which works on providing frictionless global money transfer using the power of blockchain tech. Most recently, Monica served SVP of marketing, having joined Ripple in 2013 as the company's first marketing communications hire. Throughout her career, she's helped tech companies drive fundamental change in the financial services industry and was recognized among the Bay Area's most influential women in business in 2020. Monica also supports the Women at Ripple Employee Resource Group as its executive sponsor. Before joining Ripple, Monica worked in corporate communications at Intuit and supported startup clients in various B2B and B2C sectors with several in fintech, including Prosper. Hey, Monica, welcome to the Edge of NFC podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's great to see you, Monica. Are you back at home or are you still in Texas? I am at home. I sadly did not make the journey out to Austin. A lot of my colleagues did, and I heard it was a rocking good time. I know we'll talk more about it, but I think it was also over 100 degrees. Do I have that right? It got to 104, huh? Yeah, there are a lot of record highs, a lot of records this week, right? There's over 17,000 individuals at consensus. And I definitely felt like we we're all showering in our clothes throughout the week. But the Ripple House was a clutch sort of haven of cool air conditioning and interesting people in the midst of all it. I scootered over there on the first day and your team was really did a great job setting up an event that was like accommodating and sort of integrated into things. There was a really cool graffiti art wall. We did a little clip on our show showing this sort of, I guess, our virtual graffiti, if you will. Really cool event. Sweet. Thank you. High praise going for you. Thank you for stopping by and visiting. Good to know we kept the air conditioning rolling too. <laughs> yeah, that was the most important thing. We'll talk more, but let's talk about you and your journey with Ripple to kick things off today. Would really love to understand more about your origin story with Ripple, recognizing that Ripple is a household name. I mean, not only in the blockchain community, but globally, it really goes hand in hand with people's understanding of Bitcoin and Ethereum. 
It's a really important part of the ecosystem and would love to understand how you got into the mix there. Well, thank you for giving that praise to us. So I'm a lucky duck. Let me say that. I entered the fray at Ripple in 2013, about a year after the company was founded. And the entry point I had was in the setup, Ethan, you mentioned that one of my clients when I was on the corporate communications, public relations side was Prosper. So Prosper was one of the first people-to-people lending marketplaces. It was co-founded by Chris Larson. He was also CEO. So I worked for him then and found him to be such a visionary leader, someone who truly looked at a problem in financial services around personal and small business loans and was really seeking to make that whole system work more for the people. And so I found that to be really inspiring. I connected with that mission and with him. So when he was co-founded Ripple in 2012, after that was in 2013, I noticed that he had started this new project. I talked to him and that was my introduction to crypto, to Bitcoin, to this new revolution that he was talking about around digital gold and how important the internet of value would be to the future of humanity. And he totally sold me on what this big adventure would be. So I was really lucky to join then. That's really cool, especially given, I mean, it's been like about 10 years since then, right? And you're still in the mix. So clearly there's an energy, a culture, sort of a mission alignment there. Yes, there's nothing I'd rather be working on, really. And with no other people, I think speaking to culture, I really respect what Chris and then Brad Growlinghouse, our CEO for a number of years, what kind of culture, value system, operating culture that they've built. And I think it's a joy to work with the people I work with and I'm always learning from them. I've got my Prosper account. I don't know if you guys, Jeff and Josh do, but I definitely booked one several years ago. Yeah, I always like that idea. For people who aren't familiar, it's like you can basically be a lender instead of a bank. And they do this, they do really interesting, like set you up with like a basket of assets. You got some high risk lending, some people who have got a credit rating, whatever, and different interest rates associated with it. But it's definitely, I think, appealing to those people who are in the fintech side of blockchain too, right? Just kind of wanting to get in on that fintech a little bit deeper and play a role in it. Yeah. And the original vision, the way he would describe it was he felt like lending should come back to community banking roots. Like we're neighbors, you have car trouble, of course I'll spot you. But he wanted to do that on a broader scale, first the US and then more globally. But the original form of it borrowed the eBay auction system. So different lenders could bid on like the interest rates based on the borrower's information. And I definitely see that track to That was people-to-people lending platform, the kind of centralized method. Now track that to decentralized finance and what the possibilities are that are so exciting to like really address the systemic inequities in financial services. Totally. I'm sorry, I just got to go slightly deeper down this rabbit hole just to say as a musician and somebody who made my living, like a sort of like an independent contractor playing music, such an and going to 
the bank and they would be, where's your W-2? Like, we just want to see that W-2. <laughs> and things like this are so great, right? Because it goes, oh man, all this bureaucracy, like, you know, I'm going to pay it back. Like I've got the income, da, da, da. Does it have to be on this particular type of document? So yeah, I appreciate that movement so much. Ethan, I think there's like a country music song. Where's your W-2? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds As inspiration. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about some of these big global obstacles that are being taken on here and you're in the mix on. So money transfers, always been a major pain in particular international transfers. I want to know how Ripple changes that and also just say, yeah, I deal with that. I'm just dealing with somebody that I know is trying to make a transfer to someone in Peru and they're like trying all these different services and they don't make sense. And da, da, da. So yeah, tell us what you guys got going on there. Yeah, it's kind of a headache, right? Early on, as the company was getting started, so in the 2013 to 15 period, we were exploring a number of different use cases, in particular, at looking at XRP Ledger. XRP Ledger was one of the very first alt chains to Bitcoin. I think Litecoin launched slightly before it, but it introduced some new innovations around tokenization. So you could represent different types of value, not just the native cryptocurrency on the ledger. A decentralized exchange built right on the protocol, so it'd make it easy to trade different cryptos or different tokens on the ledger. And then a different consensus mechanism to validation to try to make the ledger work really efficiently. So low, low fees, fast settlement at high scale. Looking at that combination of elements, something that just kind of smacks you in the face is, wow, this would be a really good ledger for payments. And that's what the problems that we started to explore. It's like mind blowing how much money is sent around the world every year. It's in the order of $130 trillion annually. And the way that these different payment networks grew up over time were more domestically based. And then the way that international, if you're trying to cross domestic systems, you require all these intermediaries to facilitate that exchange. And then over time, what happened was in order for liquidity to be broad and deep enough to service global payments is very few large, large, large banks kind of control the FX markets. I think it's like maybe the top five banks basically control 95% of foreign exchange. So you don't really have competitive pricing and open access to the foreign exchange markets. So for those of us already down the rabbit hole of blockchain and crypto, these are things that blockchains are really good at solving, creating a global fabric that's open distribution. So it's good at connecting disparate systems, disparate networks, and making value or tokens move more efficiently across those different networks without all those intermediaries required. So that's really kind of what we started to set about solving Important to note the timing at which we started doing this, 2014, 2015, was right on the back of the Silk Road bust, Mt. Gox collapsing, headline after headline about the dark web, that Bitcoin is a haven for the dark web. I guess you could put frame that either way and it makes sense. But when we were walking into banks and other financial institutions to pitch them on this idea of, hey, you should use a blockchain to solve these problems that you have with cross-border money transfers, they weren't really open to that conversation at the time. As we started to build the software and technology to make cross-border transfers more efficient, it was really focused on how do we do it in a way that gives them total control over their compliance 
and doesn't require the use of cryptocurrency in the transactions. But around 2018, that changed. There was more open, the whole industry was growing up. And so there was a lot more openness to the conversation about using crypto in the cross-border transfer, which is the real thing. That's the unlock that makes using a blockchain instead of a centralized system for cross-border money transfer 10 times plus better because you can bring down costs really dramatically if you're able to use an asset like XRP, which is a global independent type of asset on an open ledger like the XRP ledger. That's what makes those cross-border transfers like 90% more efficient. One of the things that is always tricky about dealing with money in general or new forms of money in general is making sure that liquidity is there and that that foundation is reliable and dependable. And you guys have been around a long time and have established that. Can you talk to me about what that process was like from the early days to where you are now? Yeah, great question. I think that, yeah, liquidity kind of has always been at the heart of our story and the different types of solutions that we have built. So in the context of RippleNet and cross-border payments, we were just talking about that part of the product that uses XRP to facilitate cross-border transfers we call on-demand liquidity. So the from two is historically these institutions we work with would have to pre-fund accounts internationally so that they had liquidity available in Thai bot or Filipino peso or Mexican peso, et cetera, available to execute a transaction from wherever their customers wanted to send to the using on-demand liquidity result is that instead they don't have to outlay all that capital in those different markets. Instead, they can on a by transaction basis or in batch, basically create the liquidity for that transaction using XRP really just on demand. And beyond that, the liquidity story has extended to, we had an insight from our customer base where they increasingly want to offer crypto products to their customers. So the ability to buy, sell, trade crypto, but they need efficient access to the broad open market around those cryptocurrencies that exist. So we've been building a product called Liquidity Hub that acts as an aggregator, kind of like the kayak or Google flights of liquidity so that they can quickly identify the most efficient path for a given crypto. And then also with the XRP ledger, I think talking about it as having the first decentralized exchange, that story around fast, efficient liquidity and settlement has always been sort of what makes it different or special in the chain landscape. Yeah, such a key part of it. And something that I think people take for granted with projects like Ripple and kind of assume that liquidity is at the forefront as a priority for other organizations. And they assume it's going to be there with certain projects. I think they get caught sometimes and we've seen some things recently, right, where that's been the case. Yeah, in terms of ensuring that the markets kind of are there, for example, for payments with our institutional customers, using a blockchain for payments sounds like pretty simple or it sounds straightforward. But that liquidity challenge has been kind of a long pull in the tent to build and support. And we've been very both very thoughtful, but very kind of aggressive on building integrations with exchanges around the world, partnerships with market makers and OTC brokers, different institutions that can help make those markets for our customers. 
Right on. Great technology without a strong liquidity strategy can't come to full fruition, right? And on a similar note, on the monetary policy side, looking at that topic from a crypto perspective, I'm curious about this central bank digital currency concept and whether or not that's helpful towards moving the needle here. Yeah, yeah. Much talk about CBDCs, especially, I mean, stablecoins have had a lot of airtime this year. And so on the back of that, CBDCs as well. I think because we have worked with financial institutions kind of longer than anyone in this space, very nat and specifically to solve payments problems, it was pretty natural for central banks to engage with us on CBDC projects. So we have a team that's full-time focused on that now. Partnerships, we've publicly shared that we're working with the Royal Monetary Authority of Bhutan, as well as the Republic of Palau on their CBDC initiatives. And where we see CBDCs are a compelling proposition, if you think of it as a way to digitize a domestic system for any given country, you could see immediate benefits to people in that country for toward things like greater inclusion, that just more people have access to that rail and that system faster distributions of government aid as another example, like right into those digital accounts or wallets. And then we think that there's also a really interesting role that CBDCs can play in a web three or internet of value future where you have digitized currencies around the world, government issued currencies around the world connected through the public blockchains in those cryptocurrencies to facilitate that kind of cross-border fabric that the world will eventually need. Yeah. And we think just as there's central bank money, as well as commercial money in the system today, we think that stable coins and CBDCs will coexist in that future. Very cool. I mean, Bhutan, 750,000 people, that's not a small pilot per se, and can make a meaningful impact on that population, that country. How's that pilot going so far? Yeah, so it's underway. We're working with them on kind of getting it fully up and running and launched. That has been one of their key goals with this project is to increase inclusion. Another aspect or factor that mattered a lot to them was Bhutan is a country that takes sustainability very seriously. It's like core to the country's values of the people. So working with us, they really wanted to use XRP Ledger since it's a carbon neutral chain and just inherently very energy efficient. So yeah, I'm excited to see how it all plays out and then also share those results. Yeah, those things take time, right? Like when you're working with a country, there's a lot of different milestones along the way and challenges to overcome. So we'll be following along and seeing how that goes. Yeah, well, thank you. I agree. And I think that's a positive thing that it's going to be a development over many years with CBDCs. So that it's kind of done right. And think of the history of the internet. You know, it's taken us decades, probably took 50 years from ARPANET to where the world really saw pervasive adoption to fully realize its potential. And so I think we'll see the same thing with blockchains and crypto. So we should be patient. Yeah, <laughs> it's still early, even though it's been more than 10 years. XLS 20 is something that's supposed to help lower gas and transaction fees for users. Can you tell us a little bit more about its capability and usage? Yes. So I mentioned at the top that since its creation, XRP Ledger enabled 
anyone to tokenize anything, but to make the experience of tokenizing NFTs in particular, we developed and contributed this new standard called XLS20. So it'd be a new standard added to the core protocol. Current status is it's going through the amendment voting process. So the 80% of the validators have to accept it for two weeks as a yes on the amendment for it to pass. So that's still happening right now. But a little behind the scenes on what XLS20 is. So one, it makes the NFT objects on the ledger very compact and efficient so that if there's a lot of NFTs on the ledger, it reduces the impact on performance of the ledger, which is obviously something we've seen happen and really affect developers and creators a lot in the NFT world is congestion on other networks. This standard also like hard codes into it or hardwires into it. A lot of the core NFT functionality that developers use like Mint, Burn, trade, auction, even royalties are, you can program it using that standard instead of having to write smart contracts. And so benefit there is just ease of use for developers, lower security risks or risks of fat fingering, making a mistake. I mean, we've read those painful news articles about just mistakes and smart contracts that have painful results for the developer. And so, yeah, those are some of the benefits to how XLS 20 was designed. And then of course, because XRP Ledger is really designed for highly efficient transactions at high scale, gas fees are about a half a penny. Half a penny? <laughs> I don't want to let go of my half a penny. Maybe when I do an ETH transaction, I could spend a hundred half pennies. <laughs> no, so it sounds like a lot of ERC eleven fifty five, right? All the goodness and none, or a lot less of the fees and other inefficiencies there. So it sounds like a step forward. And that so that vote needs to happen still. Do you have a sense for like rough timeline based on the direction things are going right now? It's really because it's just this decentralized network of validators. It's just kind of in their hands to vote on it. So we'll just have to kind of like watch and see. Yeah, I guess so. And then I guess once that happens, as far as promoting people's interaction with it and use of it, you have something on the roadmap there whereby that vote is a trigger and things start to happen on XLS 20? Such a great question. I mean, we really do want to support developers and creators. So last year we launched $250 million creator fund, Ripple Dead, to support creators building their projects on XRP Ledger. This XLS 20 standard has been available in DevNet for a number of months. So some have already been able to basically build what they're building and it's kind of ready to go with mainnet acceptance if the validators do vote yes. That's a vehicle. We've had some really cool projects. It's really fun to see the ideas that people submit, but that's probably some of what you saw at Ripple House and Consensus. Oh, yeah. I mean, we met the team behind Xpunks, which were and like heard about all the utility that they're embedding. And we actually got him into the Coindesk Consensus Live podcast booth. And we did a little segment with him about Xpunks. So you'll have to check that out on the show. I don't know if it'll release before or after this episode, but a great example of folks putting the creator grant program and the technology platform that you're offering into use. Yeah, that they're such a great team, like love their energy and their creativity. So we're seeing a lot of different submissions on the creator fund. We also have launched a billion XRP developer grants program 
That's gone through a number of different ways. The first wave of grants that we awarded were mainly focused on NFT projects. So we should also keep our eye out for some of those like NFT Terrace and NFT Master and Zerpcraft. And there's some fun games and metaverse ideas that people are building. So we'll see those come out as well. That's great. I was just going to say, just sort of going beyond NFTs for a moment and speaking to sort of some of your core customers like financial institutes and businesses and, and governments, you mentioned a few projects, but anything else in your pipeline that you can talk about? I think given our heritage on the enterprise side and working with FIs for so long, we are engaging in a number of different more enterprise use cases for NFTs that I find really compelling. So real estate being one industry, both on kind of the title side to clean up that very manual error prone process, but also even democratizing access to real estate investing, as well as the carbon credits and carbon markets use case. I think that's a really compelling one. The challenges in carbon credit markets look kind of similar to payments where you have high degree of fragmentation amongst different carbon credit marketplaces. So you have poor and inefficient price discovery. You have the double spend problem where people reuse carbon credits. So we have a few different partners there where we're supporting them to build their carbon credit marketplaces on XRP Ledger. Exchange is a really powerful company that has the backing of the UN working on that. So yeah, those are a couple of the use cases. I definitely think if you think of RippleNet, it's a network of hundreds of different financial institutions. There's a lot of different use cases where we'll see financial institutions kind of veering into NFTs and we're excited to also be partners on those. Curious here to wrap up the sort of Q&A section with you on what inspires you outside of what you're doing with Ripple when you look at the rest of the Web3 NFT crypto space. There's so much. It's like every day there's really interesting things to read about. If I were to pick one thing and I'm always... Probably it's just going to be the Edge of NFT podcast, right? I mean... Oh, Edge of NFT podcast. That's listening right. Listening to us and just inspired <laughs> no. all the time what these guys are doing. No, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Edge of NFT podcast and decentralized identity was what I was okay. going to All right. Okay. There you go. And don't you think like it's such an incredible promise that tokenization, some combination of NFTs, but also using blockchain and cryptographic systems can solve? Like your example at the top of the call of being a musician. And if you're a part of an informal economy, you're still a part of an economy and you have an identity and you have credit that should be worth something, but to be able to translate that into a formal system that works around the world, there's so much potential to bring those billions of people we read about who are excluded right now or that are underbanked, giving them access to financial services that will be transformative in terms of economic mobility over generations. And I also, for those who are banked too, I think there's a lot of benefit to us where right now I definitely feel that my data and my identity is owned by Web2 players. And it would be really compelling if I could take back ownership of my information and giving delegated access to the entities that I approve when I approve it. I'm super psyched about that. It's a huge problem to solve. 
I don't specifically know of which players has the right answer yet, but that's huge. Yeah. I mean, it's like I face it every day. Would you like to accept this cookie? Yeah. And I go, oh gosh, another somebody's taking little pieces of me and porting it around and exchanging it. Interesting little note on that. It's not necessarily a hot topic here, but some friends just recently got a payout here in Illinois. Facebook was successfully sued for storing facial recognition data. So apparently there's laws that have been made in Illinois that do not allow you to store somebody's biometric data, specific types without their consent. And Facebook did that without people's consent. And people won multiple hundred dollars, multiple citizens. I mean, we're talking a lot of people. It's a big lawsuit. And there's a similar one with Google going on as well. Yeah. Well, Mon, it's been great learning more about all the amazing things happening at Ripple and how that intersects with our world of NFTs and all the good things to come. Very, very excited for what's in store here in the coming months. Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service soup-to-nuts and whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes you Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. We wanted to take a moment, though, and transition to our second segment, which we call Edge Quick Hitters. It's a fun, quick way to get to know you a little better. Um, there's 10 questions, and we're looking for short, single word or few word responses, but we may dive a little deeper here or there. Ready to jump in? Okay, cool. I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> That's how we like to keep it. All right. Question number one. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? You're stumping me on the first question. The first thing I ever bought. Or that you remember buying. Right. That's fair. Or that you want to make up. You can. We added that portion of the question for a good. I know I was very diligent about saving as a kid, but random thing that pops to mind, I remember the POG phenomenon. Does this resonate with anyone? So little tokens and you play the game and you get the slammer and you were trying to win. Actually, it's like 
NFTs before NFTs were digital. But I do remember investing in a whole book of different pogs and cool slammers. Interesting metaphor for your journey where you're more on the saving side. And that's why we like to ask these questions. Question number two, what is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Darn. You know what it probably was? Like Girl Scout cookies or some sort of fundraiser for like a dance team I was on or whatnot. Those were some good lessons for an introverted little girl to go door to door and have to generate sales. And then I got kind of competitive about it. So it was a good, good journey for me. Awesome. That's great. Question number three, what is the most recent thing you purchased? A little bit easier. Boring, but groceries. Yesterday I had to go grocery shopping. All important. Question four, what is the most recent thing you sold? A table. Sold a table today. <laughs> Can we ask, was that like Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or something? Or was that... Uh... Nextdoor. I have found Nextdoor to be the best platform for that kind of activity. My girlfriend loves that platform. Yeah. For both buying and stuff, for finding the right thing and then also selling. I kind of wish you made a custom table in your garage and sold it, but <laughs> we'll let you go on that one. Yeah, I wish. That would be cool. <laughs> They'd be a good partner for Ripple. Who knows? <laughs> oh, yeah. Question number five. What is your most prized possession? I can't say that I like highly value a lot of my... I'm actually pretty good at purging things and getting things out the door. I will say something that I aspire to create and hopefully sometime this year is a garden in my yard. Like I've been really intrigued by that. I think that will be a prized possession because the effort you have to put in and just the learning curve of getting it right. And then actually cheesy pun, but to, for it to bear fruit is I think really rewarding. So I'm excited about that. Nice. My wife has been working on a garden in our yard and it is very rewarding. We got vegetables and stuff for the first time this year as well. But I did something which hopefully will turn out well, which I considered relatively much easier I just got like a big bag of wildflower seeds and like turned a bunch of ground and just like dumped them everywhere and put some water on it. I just got to water it, but I like the idea of wildflowers, right? It's not like I have to have some special protocols. Nice. There are these little tiny sprouts right now. I just did it a couple of days ago. Oh, congrats. We'll see. Make it nowhere. (laughs) Nothing tastes better than uh, food from your own garden. Besides a garden, question six, if you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service and experience that's currently for sale, what would that be? Oh, buy anything. Man, I am drawing a blank. The posters behind me, these are the SpaceX posters, try to recruit people to colonize Mars. I'm not going up to Mars (laughs) soon, but I mean, I think if in the remainder of my lifetime, commercial space travel becomes something that feels relatively safe, I mean, I think that'd be phenomenal. So I'll say space travel. There it is. Yeah, no, that's cool. Space travel makes an appearance frequently on question six. Well, actually, throughout these questions, believe it or not, that said, I believe Elon Musk when he said that first trip is going to be very, very dangerous. So yeah, I'll opt out for a while. (laughs) Yeah. Question seven. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? Jeez. What do people say here? (laughs) I think I'm someone who genuinely, like I'm a student, like I like learning. I'm a curious person. I think that's a good thing generally. And it served me well. I agree. It's one of those core values that works its way into almost any kind of 
manifesto or core value statement that we have. Curiosity, so important. Flip side of that though, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? Impatience. I wouldn't figure it out. As a parent, I think I could be more patient. I always think I could continue to work on that. And also as business leader and as a friend in all aspects of life, I think I could just continue to try to improve on my patience. (laughs) Yeah, that's a tough one. Let's be honest though. Those kids need to work on their patience more than you need to work on yours. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Tell them that, right? Yeah. (laughs) Question number nine, a little easier. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I was in another meeting and I drank a cup of coffee. Sounds lovely. Last one, question 10. What are you going to do next after the podcast? I have another meeting. I have another meeting. You know what I am looking forward to though is picking up my kids at the end of the day of school. That's always really fun. They're very small children. So their storytelling of what they did for the day is all over the place, but it's entertaining. (laughs) Separating truth from fiction, right? Is always the hard thing, right? Right. fun. That's awesome. Well, that's quick hitters. Thanks so much for sharing with us. We do appreciate it. Word on the street is we got a hot topic to talk about today, a special one, Ethan. What do you say? That's right. We're going to bring somebody on here for a hot topic right now. He is the VP of product at Animoca Brands, one of our wonderful friends and partners, Animoca Brands. I'm always happy to have a rep here from there. He's going to talk to us a little bit about MotoGP Ignition Champions. But maybe I'll just throw it over to you, Sean, and give us a little bit of an intro of yourself. We heard you've been in the thick of it with Animoca forever, basically, which is kind of an awesome place to be. And yeah, tell us what you're up to. Thanks for uh, having me on and great listening to your kind of chat away on what's your interesting things. So yeah, I've been at Animoca for... By the way, just interruption. Thanks to Sean for being here at probably 5 a.m. Hong Kong time. We're going okay. We're going okay. I had time to spruce up and shower and kind of actually wake up so i'm good i'm good as mentioned yeah i've been at animoca since animoca was kind of let's say seeded from what its parent was which was outplays so like when we started i think in 2018 is obviously when crypto kid is really kind of started to look at doing something in this kind of space and we ran our own experiments like one of our biggest mobile games was star girl at the time and we minted some Stargirl NFTs, they're still on OpenSea right now. If anyone wants to go and take a look at those, they've been around since 2018. But yeah, I've been with the company Animoca since it started through the blockchain stuff. What I do mostly right now is I'm pretty hands-on with what we do with our Rev Motorsport ecosystem, which is essentially like a motorsport racing, gaming experience and ecosystem of kind of games and kind of anything that relates to not just racing, but driving as well. We want it to be kind of a far more all-encompassing kind of experience. And it includes a lot of IP as well. So we have you to thank, Sean, for the thousand plus Edge of NFT decked out, stylized race cars that are floating around in the world. And I still have mine, by the way. I'm not selling that thing ever. I like those cars. That, that delivery on those cars came together real good. That kind of shock of pink. Is, re- is super eye-catching. So it's one of the cars I tend to kind of drive around. I was driving it yesterday, actually, because we had a test build coming up and it's one of the cars that I have in my account there. So I actually kind of tested the latest balancing patch. That's a real game. It's a challenging one as well. I, I think for me, the difference between the things I've seen from Animoca brands and maybe some other companies that are more 
that were kind of grew up in crypto versus actually cutting their teeth in pure gaming beforehand. There's a big difference there. And some of the elements, the thoughtfulness in the game and the way that it challenges you, it's just really evident the background that Animal Brands has. I think it's interesting, like that we are now in that space where kind of, and this isn't just us, of course, I mean, we're just kind of very fortunate that we have like that background to leverage and kind of the network that we have access to. But where now it's like, okay, let's make the user-facing aspect of this technology kind of start to sing a little bit. That's far more interesting. Very cool. What's cooking next? What can we expect with Ignition Champions and the timeline there for the card packs, all that good stuff? Break it down for us. Basically, Ignition is our branded, fully licensed MotoGP title that exists on Flow. This month, we are launching Champions, which is essentially a card, NFT card based. You can kind of see it as like an equivalent to fantasy sports in some ways, but it utilizes all the NFTs that kind of exist on Flow so far that we've pushed out for Ignition. It is a play and earn title, so people can basically participate, play. We'll kick off kind of three-day events to begin with and win a pool of rev every kind of three days. That's going to kick off first, and that's going to happen towards the end of the month. And then alongside that, as we kind of have the platform for play available, we're going to start like looking to release more of the card packs. And we have both our regular card packs lined up to go, as well as what we call the hot shots, which are essentially like video kind of moments, if you will. And they're all playable within card champions. And then actually in a couple of months, when we launch the manager aspect of Ignition, they have utility over there too. And all of this is connected through Rev. So June is a super exciting month for Ignition, for sure. Very cool. And you guys are always at the edge here. What are some of the innovations that are embedded in this release that you guys haven't messed around with previously? So Flow is a big one, right? I mean, like we've kind of leaned very, very heavily into Flow. It has strengths and weaknesses, for sure. But I think kind of what we've done, like I think it was three months ago, we released our decentralized marketplace on Flow we released the Rev token on Flow. And these are kind of very, like they're foundational for what we want to build as Animoca as a whole. But they're super important, like in aligning how we look at our software and technologies, right? Is that decentralization is super important to us. So as the marketplace contracts are built right now, even though we support MotoGP NFTs primarily because that's where the marketplace exists and the Rev token, the contract is designed as such that it can actually support any NFT and any fungible as well, right? So we've built it meaningfully to be that way so we can scope. And then ideally, we do what we tend to want to do when we make everything open source and let everyone else go at it and build on top of this stuff. Very cool. Monica, I don't know if you have any race car fans in your family, but what these guys have done with putting racing on the blockchain has definitely been revolutionary. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Has Ripple and Animoca brands had any meaningful intersection so far? Sean, I think we share a partner in Forte. Oh, I guess yes, yes, yes. I guess we do, yes. Like super quick, 10 seconds on Forte. They're a really interesting company that's built, and they were so early. I mean, Ripple, I think we partnered with them in like 2018. What they've built is a platform for game developers to create token economies in game. The founder, CEO, Josh Williams has this long storied history in gaming. And so 
He was the first person I talked to who really talked about gamers having digital rights and ownership over in-game assets and things like property and land that felt very connected to that internet of value vision. So they're an exciting company to watch. Yeah, Forte, they basically, I think one of the things that they position themselves as at least is saying, hey, we'll kind of do the hard work on this so you don't have to figure this out. So the creators can kind of come in and focus on building the games because Forte will provide this underlying kind of infra of what the blockchain aspect is kind of supposed to work and operate like. And I think at the end of the day, Ripple is all about empowering the masses to bank and sort of take that decentralized identity forward, as you mentioned, Monica. And I think Animoca Brands is doing a lot just for bringing gaming to the next level of digital ownership as well and giving people a more customized experience with the things that they love to do. And gaming is no doubt a ubiquitous part of our society at this point in time and only growing day by day. So exciting to learn what you're up to, Sean. And maybe we can always work on the details later, but maybe we should do some kind of fun giveaway for our listeners out there with this project. And that car was pretty sweet, right? So there's always a bunch of other cool stuff we can do like in addition to that. I mean, we have a bunch of stuff, yeah. Maybe NFTLA branded rev racing cars. Hey, never say never, right? Never say never. We have a cool. bunch of cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. That's well, keep an eye on our socials, folks. We'll come up with something really fun collaboration with Sean and the crew. Hey, Sean, I got to ask you too. I'm curious. Everybody over at Animoca Brands rocks that background. Is that a policy you guys have? Is that something you guys decided we're going to do consistently over there? We're always curious about you know, organizational decisions. And we've noticed that that one pops up every single time. First rule of Animoca Brands is you don't talk about the Animoca Brands background. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's a nice way to kind of showcase, because when we say Animoca Brands, I think the thing is, is like pinning down what it is, is kind of weird. And I think sometimes, at least with this banner, right, one of the things that it does that's pretty important is that it actually displays like our first party studios, right? And although over the last kind of year plus, like one of our biggest growth areas has been through our investments, that has become more and more important to us. And we've been able to make the right choices in that. But at our core, we're kind of builders and creators. And that is kind of showcasing all of these teams that are working on stuff inside Animoc to build like the things that we really believe in when it comes to blockchain, right? These decentralized products, these kind of ways to be creative in a more open ecosystem. And these are all studios that are kind of working on that stuff that work directly with and through Animoca. So we kind of do have to have it, I guess, in some ways. But also there's kind of a little interesting reason for it as well. Is it says, hey, we're more than just kind of this weird VC thing. We actually build our own stuff too. Yes, that makes sense. We've seen it a lot. So we wanted to ask. One other thing too, before we let you go, where should folks go to follow what you're up to with everything basically, you know? Twitter is very important for us. I think it's a great place for us to kind of get feedback as well. So the highest level at Animoca Brands, do follow that. That's where we announce everything that we do for Rev Racing, Rev Motorsport stuff, Rev underscore token on Twitter. And then from there, you can find the Discord channels, Telegram channels, and then the standalone kind of Twitter handles for each one of the projects, which at the moment, we're going to be adding to since we wrapped up our acquisitions of the Grease Monkey Studio and Eden Games Studio. Both of them are racing game studios. They're building incredibly cool stuff and they're super, super creative. But yeah, those are the big ones Animoca, Rev Token, and definitely kind of take a look at MotoGP Ignition. We're champions launches. 
Rev Play to Own is going to be there. And yeah, for some people, it might be their first exposure to if they didn't jump in when Top Shot blew up, now's a chance to kind of get their hands on some flow-based NFTs and some flow-based kind of marketplace action. Very cool. And it sounds like you guys are really doubling down on the racing genre, which is such an important part of the gaming experience. I did meet the team behind NASCAR, Sean, at Consensus, and they're looking around trying to see what's going on. So I'll have to put you in touch with them. We work with Joey Logano. We recently wrapped up an event with Joey, right? He's a superstar NASCAR driver. We did a fantastic event in Rev Racing, and he actually went the extra mile and designed a circuit for us. So there's a circuit we call basically the Joey Logano Grand Prix. And it's one that he created. So you go in there and it's very, very Speedway-esque. You know, it's a NASCAR circuit, basically. But that's an incredibly cool thing that we were able to do with those guys. Right on. John, thanks so much for joining us, brother, and sharing all the goodness that's happening over there. We'll catch up really soon, okay? A pleasure. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks, Sean. Take care. And Monica, also thank you for joining us for this entire episode. Amazing conversation, really great insights. I know our listeners are going to be really thrilled to hear from you. We wanted to make sure that everybody understands where to follow you and everything you're up to with Ripple, as well as, of course, all the goodness happening on the Ripple side. Where should they go? Cool. Yeah. I mean, I'd say Twitter is a really great, fast, easy, digestible, real-time way to stay up to speed with Ripple. So at Ripple Handles, probably the most all-encompassing If you're in the NFT space, which I think most of your listeners or all of them are, I would follow at RippleXDev, or you can follow me, Monica Long SF. There we go. Amazing. Okay. Well, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventurers on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then head to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing that sound with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.